Now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Well, one of the effects of modernity, which is that cultural sea in which we all swim, is disenchantment of the world. So we tend to distrust uh, things that we cannot see. We tend to be overly rational, sometimes even when it is irrational to be quite as rational as we want to be, right? We become hyper-rational sometimes. And in such an environment, we can easily fall into the temptation of looking at God, at angels, and all things spiritual in a similar manner to which we would look at unicorns or goblins. It's a fine story, but ultimately, that's not so real. Well, when we look at God and we look at the angels this way, of course, that is antithetical. It is against what we read in Scripture. It's antithetical to our, our, our experience as Christians. And it's antithetical to the teaching of the church. Well, today is the Feast of St. Michael and all angels, which is often called Michaelmas. Historically, Michaelmas was uh, one of the more important days in the Western Church, largely because it was a good marker for the beginning of autumn, back when we were tied a lot more closely to the land than we are now. Um, Easter was that great mark of spring, Easter and Lent, Christmas and Advent of the oncoming winter, and Michaelmas was the uh, mark for autumn. On St. Michael and All Angels Day, we get a glimpse behind the curtain between things visible and invisible as we remember the angels. In our For the Epistle passage today from Revelation 12, we see the war in heaven that is behind all of our spiritual warfare. We see the dragon, we see the devil, we see the dragon attacking the church with St. Michael the Archangel leading the hosts of heaven, leading God's armies in our defense. We see the dragon cast down and the church overcoming him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. In our gospel reading we, from Matthew chapter 18, we see Jesus proclaiming the value of little children in God's kingdom, complete with that remarkable statement that their guardian angels have a special place before God's throne. And uh, incidentally, we, are, we have kicked off the atrium now, so this way to really bring the little children into the faith. Um, so uh, we, we're very pleased to do that and really value the children as the way that God does. Well, we're going to continue today in our Trinity Tide, our summer series through the book of Ephesians, but we're going to see that St. Paul also gives us a little peek behind the curtain. St. Paul shows us some of what is happening on that spiritual level. So please turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3, Ephesians 3, beginning at verse 14. Ephesians 3, 14. St. Paul writes, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. So St. Paul begins this week's reading with the phrase, for this reason, pointing us back to the things that came before in the letter. 
You may recall uh, that he began last week's passage from the beginning of chapter 3 with the exact same phrase. What happened last week is that St. Paul began his thought and then he kind of went off on a rabbit trail. (laughs) talking about his, uh, um, his ministry to the Gentiles. And now today he's picking up back where he left off uh, with that for this reason. So in other words, the phrase for this reason is pointing us back to the end of chapter 2 in which Paul spoke of the one new man, the new people that's united to Christ, united in Christ, being built into a temple, a dwelling place for God. Because Jew and Gentile have been joined together into a new people, united in Christ, and being built into God's house, because of that new unity of redeemed humanity from all peoples, Paul bows his knees before the Father. You may have noticed that here at All Saints, uh, we do bow from time to time in the course of the liturgy, probably more than many other uh, churches, many other traditions. Depending on your background, that may seem a little strange, Uh, depending on where you're coming from. Well, the fact is, our bodies ought to reflect our prayers. If we're humble before God, our bodies should be making a sign of humility also, such as bowing. Our Anglican tradition, like all of those ancient forms of of Christianity, recognize that our spiritual lives are not merely in our heads. We're not merely rational. We are not hyper-rational. We're not merely internal or cerebral. No, rather, our faith is an incarnational faith, a faith with meat on the bones. In Christ Jesus, the invisible God made himself visible when he took on flesh like ours. And in fact, Jesus takes his human body with him when he ascends into heaven. If the ascended Lord Jesus is present before the Father bodily as he ministers in the heavenly temple, should not we also engage our bodies when we worship the Lord here on earth? Part of the glimpse behind the curtain between this world and the heavenly one is that physicality, humanity, fleshiness, fleshliness rather, That's not inherently wicked. Yes, our flesh is currently fallen, but it has nevertheless been redeemed. Um, In in the ancient world, the Greeks tended to think this way. Our whole goal is to break out of the prison of the flesh, right? And we see a lot of that today, too. Um, You know, uh, what, what, what your body is doesn't really matter. It's what you think on the inside. Well, actually, your body does matter. (laughs) You're not just a mind. You're not just a head on a stick. Our flesh has been redeemed. And in fact, what we see here on earth is often a shadow of the greater things that occur in heaven. Revelation 4 shows us the worship before God's throne in heaven. And if you um, are following along in our 28th Uh, cycle, the eve of St. Michael, the New Testament reading is Revelation 5 that just just also shows us that worship before God in heaven. And we here pattern our worship on earth after what we have seen in the Revelation in heaven. We do things the way that we saw it in Revelation 4 so that what we do here on every Sunday morning is a microcosm of that worship that was shown to St. John in the book of Revelation. Let's pick back up in our, in, our, in, our, in our passage. In verse 15, notice that Paul describes the Father as the one from whom every family in heaven and earth is named. 
The Greek term there for family in this verse is patria, which um, literally means fatherhood. And some translations do put fatherhood there rather than family. Our earthly fatherhood, our earthly families, are based on God's own fatherhood. We don't call God father because we're projecting earthly fatherhood onto him. We're not, that's what Freud said. Freud was wrong. That's not the way that goes. Rather, our fatherhood comes from his fatherhood. He is, in essence, in his very being, he is father. We confess in the creed, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible. The first person of the Holy Trinity has always been father, just as the second person has always been son. And this is a very encouraging concept because our earthly fathers all made mistakes in some way. Even the best of fathers fail their children from time to time. We fathers, we fail to be selfless when we deal with our families. We fail to be just in dealing with the children. We fail to love our families the way that we should. And here in the church, when we call our pastors and spiritual leaders father, the same thing is true. Even though I'm supposed to represent our Heavenly Father as a sinner, I can never live up to that fullness of that title. Nevertheless, God's fatherhood is there and God's fatherhood is perfect. When you think of your heavenly father, or sorry, when you think of your earthly fathers at their best, when dad is playing catch with you or whatever, when, when dad's taking you for ice cream realize that that's just a glimpse of the goodness of our Heavenly Father. And when you see your, your earthly father at his worst, realize that our Heavenly Father makes up that lack. Even for those whose earthly fathers were completely absent, realize that your Heavenly Father is there for you. He is not absent, and he has perfect love and perfect justice. In today's passage from Ephesians St. Paul is giving us a glimpse of that true heavenly fatherhood. And as an aside, um, the passage that comes both before and immediately after our for the epistle in Revelation 12, we see um, our Lord's blessed mother being a type or a symbol of the church. And later on in the chapter, the dragon makes war on the woman's offspring, her other offspring. That's, again, the church, the Lord's brethren. That's you and me, the children of the church. But the Lord takes care of the mother and her offspring in, the, in, in Revelation, right? He protects us and the whole church. The Lord takes care as a good father of the mother and her children of us. When our Ephesians passage, St. Paul said that he bows before the Father in prayer and in worship so that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That's verses 16 at the beginning of 17. A few weeks ago, several, several of you received the rite of confirmation when the bishop was here. Just before he anointed you with the sacred chrism and he laid his hand upon you, this is what the bishop prayed. He, he prayed, Strengthen them, we beseech thee, O Lord, with the Holy Ghost, the Comforter, and daily increase in them thy manifold gifts of grace, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and ghostly strength, the spirit of knowledge and true godliness, and fill them, O Lord, with the spirit of thy holy fear, now and forever. Amen. 
God lavishes his riches upon us in the form of his grace. And that grace is what strengthens us by his spirit for our Christian life. Wisdom, understanding, ghostly, that is spiritual strength, knowledge of true godliness, and the fear of the Lord, those are the things that he gives us. If we are to live as Christians, we need that spiritual strengthening in our inner man. Again, we have a glimpse behind the curtain. In the world, they think that might makes right. But in the unseen spiritual realm, we realize that it is not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. All of this comes about when Christ dwells in our hearts through faith. Sometimes we get this picture, we think that faith is something we have to drum up. We think of it almost like the force in Star Wars. If we believe really, really hard and we concentrate really, really hard, we can make things happen spiritually. Here's the secret. Here's the glimpse behind the curtain. Faith isn't something you manufacture in yourselves. Rather, faith is a gift from God. That's why Jesus said that even the smallest of faith, that mustard seed-sized faith, say that three times fast. (laughs) That's why he said that smallest of faith could move mountains. Jesus is the one doing the heavy lifting, not us. All right, let's continue on in the the, um, second half of verse 17 through 19. St. Paul continues the prayer. He says, he prays that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. When Christ dwells in our hearts by faith, we are rooted and grounded in love. So a couple weeks ago, we discussed that supernatural unity that happens when we're united together in Christ. Those natural enemies, in the context of two weeks ago, is Jew and Gentile, right? Natural enemies overcome nature and become brethren by the blood of Christ. The love of Christ creates in us roots of love for each other. We are joined in the inheritance of the saints that way. Think of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Think of Moses and David and Isaiah. Think of the apostles and the martyrs, the holy men and women throughout all the ages. This is your family. And every time we come to communion, the curtain is drawn back as we worship God together with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven. St. Gregory of Nyssa observed that the language of breadth and length and height and depth, that's cruciform, it's cross-shaped. And it also is all-encompassing language. The cross brings the love of Christ to all creation, to heaven and earth, and even to the underworld. Even the dead are under Christ's dominion, as we see when he raises the dead. And it is by the cross that we are filled with that fullness of God. God uses the cross to fill us up with himself. Once again, we have this peak behind the curtain. God filling us up as his dwelling place, as his temple, by taking an instrument of curse and torture and transforming it into the means of salvation, redemption, and unity of all peoples. 
St. Paul's humble prayer then, bowing before the Father, it naturally flows into a doxology of praise, uh, that hymn of praise that begins at verse 20, the end of the chapter. Verse 20. Now to him who is able to do more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. There's a reason we only get a peek behind the curtain. God's abundant deeds of power and glory are far more than we can ask or think. They're far beyond our imagination. We can only handle just a peek. We can only handle the glimpse. We can only handle that through the mirror darkly. St. Jerome writes, This glory does not extend over the present time only as if terminating in the age to come. Rather, it extends throughout all generations and all ages. It is eternally ineffable. It abides, develops, and increases. The beauty is that this glory is something we also participate in. Notice St. Paul said to him, be the glory in the church, that's us. And in Christ Jesus, that's into whom we've been baptized. Throughout all generations, which includes ours. So not only do we see the captain of the Lord's army, St. Michael, fighting for us, not only do the guardian angels of our little children have a special place before God's throne, but we are also those in whom God manifests his glory and whom he makes his dwelling place. So as we get that peek behind the curtain, we cannot help but sing, Holy, holy, holy Lord God of hosts, heaven and earth are full of thy glory. Glory be to thee, O Lord Most High. And we say these things in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven.